Welcome to the Five More Minutes Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Well, maybe you're not listening to this in the morning. Maybe you're listening to this after school. Or or maybe you're listening to this before bed. Who knows? But I will tell you right now, it is the morning. And um, Jessica and I are getting ready to go into the city. We have haircuts today. I'm so excited. And uh, we're going to get some sushi. Well, Jessica's not going to have sushi because, you know, she's pregnant. But I'm going to get a whole boatload of sushi because... I love it, and it's one of the things I miss about Vancouver. But enough about me. Welcome to the 5 More Minutes podcast. Here we go. It is March. We are in spring break season. Thank you, Jesus. Let me tell you, if there is any year that teachers deserve spring break, it is this one. It should have been doubled because, whoo, teachers are negotiating. Well, teachers in sports fest, for supports that all people in schools right now are just negotiating conditions that are just out of this world. So everyone is very eager to see this pandemic come to an end, if only to get our schools and classrooms back back into conditions that are manageable. Holy! So I hope that everyone is um, gonna have a really great spring break. Some people are going starting like yesterday and others start next week, but wherever you are, you can do it. And I hope you enjoy it. And I know you can't really travel. So just put your feet up and put, make some hot chocolate and watch some good movies, read some books. Cause it is well-deserved my friends. Um, Who, what a year. And it was a year ago. It was a year ago yesterday that the world shut down. And um, we have a, uh, Jessica and I do a book club on Saturday mornings on Instagram, which y'all are welcome to join us. But how that how that book club started was because of COVID. Because I was, I mean, everyone's going to remember that day, the March 13th. It was Friday, remember? Friday, March 13th. And where were you when? And I was in Yellowknife and it was the day before spring break and everyone had tickets places, right? Like people in the North, shout out to the North. Like you get through the winter, in Yellowknife by going to Hawaii for spring break. So everybody had tickets to Hawaii and Mexico and they were trying to figure out, do we go? Do we not go? Are we going to get back into the country? And um, I was just trying to get home and flights were getting canceled. And, you know, we didn't really know, like, like we've never managed a pandemic before. And I just remember thinking like, I need to get home. And so a lot of people didn't end up traveling. And so on my flight home, there was like four people and the airport, like everyone's like, panicking and I'm like I just need to get home and I remember I got home and I just wanted my people around me right like I wanted my mom and I wanted my friends and I wanted like like well Jessica's here obviously like I just wanted everyone around because you just it was just so unknown and um but I remember last like a year ago that weekend was really beautiful on Bowen and I was also really tired because I was traveling so much and then um I get home and Saturday comes and it is just the most beautiful Saturday and the sun was shining and uh, we were, I, I was actually able to like sit on my deck and on Friday I had got a package delivered. And so when I got home on Friday night, I opened the package and then it was a book. It was Barry Presents uh, Uniquely Human and I'd been wanting to read this book, but things had just been so hectic. And so Saturday morning, I'm sitting on my deck. I have my coffee. The sun is out. Um, it kind of was like a moment of oh, what is, what is going to happen? Cause I was, I was booked for the rest of the year. I didn't know if I was going to be able to travel, <coughs> excuse me, like even that Monday. 
And so I was just like, I need a minute. I need to just take a minute to figure out what's going on. And so I look at this book and I'm just like, maybe I'll read today. Like maybe I just need like a moment to like just settle. And um, so I'm sitting on my sunny deck and I am looking at my uniquely human book. And I was just like, oh man, like it's going to be really, and I was thinking like, it's going to be really lonely. Like if we have to like isolate, I'm already panicking about the disconnection, not even understanding how disconnecting would actually be. And so just in this weird moment of reflection, I went on Instagram and I was like, I wonder if like maybe other people want to read this book with me because then we could stay connected is what I thought like in a fleeting moment. And so I went on Instagram live and it's the first time I've ever done it. And I was sitting on the deck and there all of a sudden like 50 people were joining and I'm like, hey, hey, everyone. And we just decided in that moment, me and these people on Instagram live that we were going to meet in the mornings and read a little bit of this book. And so we met every morning because we soon found out that the world was shutting down and none of us were going anywhere. And uh, so uh, so we met every morning from nine till ten for like those first couple of months and it ended up saving me because let me tell you, I went from traveling four to five days a week, like flying all over the place and working with communities to nothing, like everything got canceled and, uh, and it got lonely pretty fast and I felt like I had no purpose pretty fast and so that book club kept me going and so uh we met every morning and now we end up now now that it's been going on we we meet every saturday morning because the world has is kind of gone back no not gone back but is is not as shut down as it was a year ago and this book club community has grown to like every week, like over, over like 4,000 to 5,000 people watch those videos every week. And so it has grown. We've read five books and Jessica has now joined us. And so if you're interested, it's um, on my five more minutes, Instagram, page, Instagram live on Saturday mornings at 9am PST. And right now we're reading the skin we're in and we kind of decided that all the books that we would read would be like books that are committing that we are as readers committing to equity and, um, inclusion, reconciliation, and kind of unlearning, especially during this age of anti-racism. And uh, so the reason why I'm telling you this is because yesterday was our one year birthday, book club birthday party. And so we had a Zoom call and everybody ate cake. And there was like about 80 people there. And it was just so fun. And you realize that we've like kind of made these connections with people and everyone's just like, thank you for setting up this book club, kept us connected through COVID. I'm like, no, don't thank me. Like you guys saved my life. So it's been pretty exciting. And so book club um, has been with us, of course, through the whole announcement of Jessica's pregnancy. And um, they call themselves the book club aunties, but we do have a book club uncle, uncle Jeff, and sometimes uncle David. So if you're a guy, you can totally, you can totally join too. Um, so it's just kind of cute. It's just kind of cute, but you know, it's kind of that, that weekend of reflection that a lot of us are going through, like, where were you a year ago? And, uh, and yeah, like things, it's funny. Cause like a lot has changed and nothing has changed and, but we're all eager, we're all eager to get back. And so this is the spring break that we know we have to be home and just to, to, to know that, you know, things, I think things are going to start getting a little bit better. I know vaccines are going around. Go get your vaccine, people. Get vaccinated. Um, and I know in BC, we're allowed to now be in outside groups, up to 10 people. So, like, it's, it's we're slowly moving forward. So, that's my little COVID update. Um, whew, 
can't even believe it. I can't even believe it. And uh, so my other update, my other update for you is, as you know, because um, because of COVID, usually all my recording and producing happens in New Jersey and the border's closed, so I can't go there. But then this lovely community in Washington was just like, well, Shelly, why don't you do it virtually? Because we want to do, we want to work with you. So so I work, I am teaming up with the Association of Washington School Principals. And so from January to June, we are working on um, kind of an inclusion project, an inclusion initiative uh, with the whole state. And so basically it's 20 teams, 20 teams from different schools and districts who are coming together and we're meeting each month between now and June. And so we've structured the whole, we've structured the whole initiative around five Ps um, that were pulled from the literature review for my PhD. And so the five Ps, we've done the first two, presuming competence, and the second one is place. And so last last podcast, last month, we talked to um, Mabel. Remember Mabel? Uh, from, now let me remember, Forks, Washington. And she was just so fun. And then we also talked to Joe Picard, Joanne Picard, who is a self-advocate and did that incredible, shared with us that incredible presentation that she did with her peers um, at, uh, at, at the University of Alberta. And then uh, we also talked to... Oh my goodness, Joe and Mabel. Was it just Joe and Mabel? I think it might've been. Oh my goodness, if I got that wrong, I'm so sorry. I have morning brain. And um, and so this month we're talking about place, but this, you know what it was too, because today we have three. And so part of this initiative is talking to school teams in Washington who are starting to make efforts to move their context to be more inclusive. And so what's really cool is I really actually like this format and I'm going to continue with this format is to talk to a team that's doing the work because um, I've learned so much from talking to these teams. And so today, because I also want to have a feature guest each time. And so today we're talking, um, I'm also in parallel to this doing an IEP series and I'm also talking to guests um, around that. And so my guest for the IEP series was Joanne Crona, Joe Crona, another Joe. I love my Joes. And she, this interview is actually a snippet taken, excuse me, from um, the IEP workshop that we did because um, part of the work that we're doing with IEPs is how do we make IEPs place-based. And so Joe was talking to us about place and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like this conversation would also apply to how to make place, how to make inclusive classrooms um, place-based, not just IEPs place-based. So what I'm doing is I'm taking a snippet of that interview and including it into this podcast with Joe Crona, who is a dear friend, a dear colleague, um, Leighton Schneller, if you know him, he calls friends and colleagues for all leagues. Joe's definitely a frolic. We used to be neighbors and she is just, um, I've learned so, so much from her. But one thing that I love about Joe Crona is she is, she always reminds us that so many initiatives in the world um, of inclusion and equity and anti-racism and identity um, is not innovative. It's not new. It's, um, it's deeply rooted in Indigenous pedagogy. And so I think it's really important to remember that because Indigenous population um, have been <laughs> abiding by these principles for way longer than us white people um, have started to implement them into schools and classrooms. And so rather than saying place-based education is innovative, really what I'm learning is that uh, we're catching up to Indigenous pedagogies and what is new is indigenizing our, our, our education system. And so giving credit where it's due. And so place is something that I've learned a lot about from Joe, and, and she's going to, well, in the interview, you'll hear a story that, that um, really impacted me early in um, 
in my presenting and consulting career around the, the issue of place, not the issue, the concept of place and um, understanding the importance of the history of place and the role of um, reconciliation. And, you know, I, I, for myself have, I would say my rec reconciliation journey really started two years ago when I moved to Bowen um, and understanding what place means to me in my life and reflecting on my experiences growing up in a very, very non-reconciliatory environment um, and, you know, understanding understanding the implicit bias that I myself held in terms of understanding um, intergenerational trauma and history and just really, really trying to understand my own privilege. And many of us are going through that journey right now. And so Joe was a really critical, critical piece to that puzzle for me. Um, and you know, has helped me have some conversations with myself and understanding the role of indigeneity in my life. Um, but she's also like incredible. <laughs> I just can't wait for you to meet her. And if you meet her, you know, if you already know her, you know how great she is. But um, I'm really excited to share this interview with her because she's just so wise and um, kind. And after this interview, she sent me a box of cookies. It just was so sweet. So I really want you to enjoy my conversation with Joe um, and, and really think about like, cause our theme this month is the role of place. Like what is the role of place in your life and in our classrooms? Because if you watch the five more minute video, the big idea that I've taken from place is, you know, the biggest misunderstanding in inclusion is that place, that inclusion is just about a location. And um, you don't need me to tell you that if we're only targeting locations, um, that's not enough. It's not enough for kids, it's not enough for us. Um, kids need to not just not just exist in a location, but they need to belong in a community. And that that is what the difference between location and place. And so I, I encourage you to sit back and enjoy my conversation with Joe. Following Joe, I then have two teams that we're gonna talk to. So the first team is Team Shelton um, and Shelton, is in Washington and basically Shelton High School is, is so there's um, how, how their team, how the Shelton team is set up is there's a high school and then there's some feeder elementaries who have come together. And so the team is Ted, Stephanie, Rachel, Kelsey and Shelly. And so you're gonna hear from them and understand what their roles are. But what I really like for, about from this team, actually from all the people we're talking today is just the, the, the power of leadership and you know how much can be accomplished when our leaders believe. And our leaders understand the importance of the infrastructure that's required for inclusion to happen. So I'm gonna, yeah, listen to them. They're, they're really good. And I appreciate the Shelton team because they're just like, um, we need this to be practical, right? Like, cause we have some high school people there and high school's a different can of worms. Like elementary is designed to be inclusive. Secondary is designed to not, designed, is designed to be compartmentalized. And so um, what I appreciate about the Shelton team is that they're really trying to like um, get, the, get the details to say like, like our slogan that you'll hear is what does this look like on Tuesday morning? Um, our second team is from Whidbey Island. They're my other Islanders, Rebecca and Sarah, and they are just, oh my goodness, they're my party animals this week. Um, we, <laughs> we just talk about everything. Um, even after the podcast was done, we talked about pizza ovens for like 45 minutes. So we just had a really good time. But what I really took from Sarah, Sarah and Rebecca is like, they, they are leaders in their district. So Sarah's the principal and Rebecca is like a district, um, special education 
administrator and the two of them together work very, very closely and are um, really shifting, really focusing on shifting the mindset and doing some pretty remarkable work. And so I'm excited to hear, to have you hear from both of them and to see um, from their perspective, what they took away from our sessions together around presuming competence and around place and how that's actually like moved into enacting, right? Like, so what I love about this is when you talk to school teams, you go, okay, so let's talk about the conversations, but then what does this actually look like when you take action? And so those are our three conversations today, Joe, Team Shelton, and Rebecca and Sarah. So sit back and relax, and uh, I will join you on the other side for a little debrief, but just, yeah, no, thanks for listening, and I will uh, see you in a bit. for everyone to join us from all over the world because I think this is a, a, a need that's worldwide, which is how do we do better by our kids with disabilities and, and get them um, more connected to their community with their peers. It's something that every, every place is working on, um, which connects me to our topic today, which is place. We are talking about place and the role of place. And um, as you know, every session, we are starting with a featured guest. And today's featured guest is, ready? The one and only my very good friend and colleague, Joe Crona. And so I am going to introduce you to Joe in just a second. But um, if you don't know Joe, she is just, uh, oh my goodness, she is a force. She is so just like, oh, she's one of those people that you can just be around and just feel calm. Do you know what I mean? Like she's just so just like, I feel like she knows the answer to every question. She's just one of those people that are just really wise and I love being around her and she's just so, you know, um, has, you can see her bio, she's just um, committed her life to equity and social justice um, and I've just learned so much from her. And so, Joe, I want to welcome you. Hello, Joe. Hello. Where are oh, everybody? You are. Look at you and your cute little glasses. <laughs> yeah. Getting a pair now for every single room in the house. I love it. You, you look so official. <laughs> I love it. And if you don't know, Joe just got a new cat. Yes. I've had to lock her out of the room because she likes to sit right here now. Oh, I bet. <laughs> She's beautiful. She kind of looks like Maine Coon-esque. Yes. Yeah. And her She's name is the best part. Toddler part cat. Totally. And her name is the best part. Tell them what her name is. Medea. Medea, because she's from? She's from, I want to say Georgia, and I'm wrong, Alabama. Alabama. So she's like from down south, and she came with Medea as a name. Medea. And I loved it, so I wanted to keep it. You know that anyone named Medea? There's a force to be reckoned with. Totally. Look out. Perfect for you. Perfect for you. So everyone, this is Joe. Everyone say hi to Joe. So Joe, why don't you tell us who you are? Tell us, like, who, who is this person, Joe, that I'm I have? I'm still to trying to figure that out. <laughs> good point. That's a really good point. Everybody, uh, I'm going to introduce myself in Somaliac first. That's the language of my mother's people, Tsimsian. Joe Kroner, Tihwaya, Kitsimkelem, Tihwatwatku, Ganada, Tipetegu. I just said uh, my name is Joe Krona. I am Ganada, which is Raven from the Kitsimkelem First Nation. Uh, my traditional name is Nikham Giosnechel, and... I am fortunate right now to be sitting out at a desk in a former dining room, looking out on the traditional territories of the Lekwungen speaking people, specifically the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations, in the area of BC, also known as Victoria. Yay! You know, I've been learning about my local place. 
I've been learning this, um, both you and if you know, well, Leighton, Leighton is, is a really big advocate for like decolonizing our spaces. Right. And so when I moved to, when I moved to Bowen Island, I was just like, I need to learn about my place. And so Bowen is part of Squamish territory part of the Squamish language. And so Joe, I've been practicing how to say Bowen Island in Squamish language. Are you ready? Yes. It's called Nehualakam. Fabulous. I know. Isn't that beautiful? And now when you come off the ferry, it says, welcome to Nehualakam. Isn't that beautiful? That is. And I'm so glad that you've been practicing learning how to say that. Oh, no, totally. I, because like the thing about virtual, you know, spaces is that usually, well, you know this, we're traveling to other places. And this is so important for today's topic because today's about place and about the role of place. And so the nice thing about virtual, um, like, media is that you know no i'm not going to people's places people are coming to my place and so i've been trying to learn different place different like cool facts about the place that bowen is and how i can learn from this place which is what we're talking about today yes (laughs) i love that so much so before we go further joe i want to tell everyone about the first time i met you you don't even know the story i don't even know i don't think so i'm gonna trust (laughs) <laughs> and the reason why this is a good story is because this this moment from you is what the moment that I realized that I had no idea the profound influence that place has and the importance of place. Okay, you ready for this? So this is probably going to be back in time. Oh, I was a baby. Like we were in Salmon Arm together, Joe. We, do you remember that conference? It was like. <laughs> It was years. Like I want to say five years ago, I was there. Uh, You were there. Leighton was there. I think Carol Fullerton was there. But we were all talking about, yeah, no, just whatever. And it was one of my very first kind of like big professional development day like presentations. So I'm talking about inclusion. And you were up before me. And we were in a big gym. And you know how good presentations are in gyms. It's like <laughs> echoing. People are dropping chairs, you know, chewing bubble gum, whatever. Okay. And so I'm sitting there and the lights were kind of dim a little bit, which I think was like part of why this was an impactful moment. Okay. Because you talked about something that had happened to me the day before. Okay. Now, do you remember that day? I remember the day clearly. Yes. Do you remember what your topic was? I was probably talking about the first people's principles of learning, the themes that run through them. So can you tell people briefly, because not everyone here is from BC, what the BC principles of learning are? So the first people's principles of learning, uh, we they were articulated over about 10 years ago. They are knowledge about effective teaching and learning approaches that have been carried for thousands of years by the Indigenous peoples in this land. And uh, they're powerful. They are amazing. They are kind of the signpost where so many non-Indigenous education jurisdictions are moving towards and didn't realize that they're moving towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, they focus on, on relationship, on connection to place, on intergenerational learning on knowing ourselves and each other's and our gifts. And, 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 and I mean, I'm, I'm, intensely oversimplifying, but they embody a holistic approach to education and to being, which are, is amazing. And it's, they've had a, they've been having an influence uh, on the changes in the BC education system. People are starting to really come to understand how transformational they are, not just for the learner, but for the educators as well. 
And what I really loved about them was you look at them and I can actually, I'll post them like in the slides so that you can see what they are and how they were like locally developed and like kind of like a consensus almost, right? From, from nations mm -hmm. in the area. Yeah, for those who might not be from here, BC has a, a significant diversity with respect to indigenous peoples, First Nations, Métis, Inuit, um, the largest number of First Nations languages in this area more than the rest of the country combined and so you have all these different nations and, and other indigenous organizations metis people elders knowledge keepers scholars who all came together and said we all have our own discrete understandings and knowledge systems what is it that we commonly understand and the the answer to that was the articulation of those which is just so beautiful and i think like part of the whole point of this transformation like that we're talking about inclusion is that what because okay so before i get ahead of myself so that day you were talking about the first people's principles of learning okay and they were still pretty new i mean not to you but like <laughs> to us not in the province yeah. right in terms of a provincial like like framework almost right and i'm and i and i'd seen the poster it's a beautiful poster but there's been so many conversations around like how do you actually like embed these these philosophies without it just not being Oh, that's a nice poster, right? And so this is what we were talking about that day. And so the day before this session, someone said to me in a session, okay, this is what they said. Well, Canada's diverse. So if we're learning about Indigenous people, shouldn't we learn about all of the people? Shouldn't we, you know, like I, I come from Chinese heritage. Shouldn't we learn about Chinese history? Shouldn't we learn, you like, you're Danish, Shelley. Why aren't we learning about Danish history? Like why, what is so special about indigenous people? And this was me. Like, like I knew that the question was ridiculous, but I didn't have an answer. And I didn't know, I'm like, am I allowed to answer this question? Like, what's the protocol here? And it was, it bothered me so much because I knew that it was racist, <laughs> but I didn't understand why yet, right? And so then we go to Sam and Arm. Do you remember what you said? I, the story I shared about, if not here, then where? Please share oh, what I you will. I will. It changed my life. That, and that question, that, that question that you were asked is a question that still surfaces, it still comes up. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're blessed here with a, with a diversity of people, but what we had to help people understand was this was not a multicultural conversation. Mm -hmm. And to help people with that, um, I, I share a story about an experience a few years before that, five years ago, mm -hmm. where I was working with a number of other educators around the province. We were talking about um, if we wanted to change the English language arts curriculum, K to 12, you know, what might be the, 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 the foundational things that we would love to see. And one of the criteria that had already been provided uh, through the Ministry of Education was there had to be increased, explicit, mandated Indigenous content mm -hmm. in, in the curriculum. So uh, a teacher there sitting down and he asked the question, and I love it when people ask questions because they're seeking to understand. You knew it wasn't a question that had a hidden agenda behind it, right? He really wanted to say, and he asked this respectfully. He said, I understand cultural relevancy. I understand that if I have indigenous learners in front of me, they need to see themselves reflected in the curriculum, in the resources, in the physical space, in the other adults in the building. He said, but I don't. I don't have any indigenous learners in my classroom. He said, there might be two in the entire school. So he said, why are we privileging mandating indigenous content perspectives in our curriculum and not the cultural heritages of all the other students? Mm -hmm. So I asked him to think about the students in his classroom. I asked him to think about their families. 
And I ask them to think about where did their families come from? So if they're not indigenous, they would have had to come from, it might have been 150 years ago, but they had to come from another place in the world. Ultimately. Somewhere. Somewhere. And, and he talked about there were new Canadians. So I said, whether they arrived two weeks ago or 150 years ago, where did they come from? So he thought about that. And I said, okay, think about those places now. Are the languages of those places still being spoken there? It are, is the literature, whether it's oral literature, written literature, visual literature, still growing and thriving and connected to those places? And is the knowledge of those places still being taught and learned in the schools there? It gives me shivers every time you tell the story. Keep going. Yeah. He said, he thought about it for a few minutes and he said, yes. The answer to all those three questions was yes. And I said, well, this is the only place on this planet where these languages are connected to. This is the only place on this planet where this knowledge has grown from. If, it, if it's not taught and learned and celebrated and nurtured here, it will not exist anywhere else in the world. So this is where we start from. And that, and he thought, you could see like the gears going on in his brain. And late, later on, he came to me at break and he said, it was like a light bulb. He said, just a shift of that perspective was so important for him. And he said it was, he was a few years before retirement. He said, I wish I'd understood this 20 years ago. And it's like, I remember where I was standing when you said that, because it, it was so simple, but it was so profound, this idea, exactly how you said, like, if not here, where? And it talks about this idea of place. It talks about the idea of place almost like as a teacher, right? It's not just the location. You don't just exist in a location, but you belong and are connected to this place that, that teaches you. And it just hit me like a truck, Joe. <laughs> hit me like a truck. But the other thing that really, that really was impactful in that moment is I realized, isn't that exactly what we're trying to do in inclusive classrooms? Like, like the, the parallel was so obvious to me and it also helped me to, like it helped me to see how like a place is not just the location but it's like the people like you say the people who are there and the history it that is it. yeah when we think about place we think about it in it's it's multi-dimensionality mm -hmm. i love multiple syllable words <laughs> it's land-based it's connecting us first of all to the land that we're on i mean ultimately i think no one who's been paying attention to what's happening in the world in the last few years can under, would, would, would not understand that we need to be paying attention to the health of the land that sustains us. Mm -hmm. It is not ours to be used. It is the thing that gives us life. That's one piece. But it's also beyond that. It's about the relationship piece. So we know that learning is intensely relational. We know about how that plays out with other people. It's also about our relationship to where we are and how that sense of where we are contributes to how we understand ourselves mm -hmm. and, and, and that that you know that the, the link between our identity as a learner and where we are and how we define ourselves it's it's i think it's a fundamental piece that 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 only serves us and the learners well when we're paying attention to it yeah. um yeah it's it, it that that place is it's so complex and so rich and I, and I just like, ugh, it, it's, it's like, well, what is place then? And you realize that there's a million answers to that question. And so then I'm just like thinking about this and what immediately struck me as I learned more about this importance of place. And like you say, and like, you've mentioned this to me before, like how it really is a part of our identity 
you know what I mean? Like, this is the place actually answers that question, like who we are, not just where we are. And I never thought about that before. But then I also thought about like, you know, if we now shift lenses to kids with disabilities and this whole conversation we're having about including kids in inclusive places, place has been seen as this rigid, time-defined context that is almost like, like, it's like we've been treating kids like these tumors, right? Like they kind of like just get attached onto this, this place that has already existed without them and trying to get them to belong in this place in really formulaic ways. And it's become almost like this policy driven, non-holistic process. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, like as I hear you talk, like isn't that exactly what we just want for all our kids, right? To, to, to see themselves in where they are right? To understand the history that's there, to understand who they are within that place, who they're with within that place, how they came to this moment to become, as opposed to this, you need to be in this place for 11 minutes today, and tomorrow we're going to go for 12 minutes, and if you have a hard time, you got to leave this place because you don't belong. Like, it's become this, like, this formula and this quantitative, like total opposite of holistic and response, right? Something you said there struck, struck me too. It's about that sense of belonging. I, no one gets to tell me where I belong. Okay. I have to feel that connection and the fluidity. Mm-hmm. Just because at this point, this makes sense for me, doesn't mean in a different context, a different time, that this other place isn't going to make sense for me. How am I going to feel? I'm going to be there because I need to be connected there for, yep. for, uh, for the in ways that respond to my need to belong. Well, and exactly right. And and looking at like place has a role, but you can also belong and feel connected to different places and yes. different communities. And so then I'm just like, well, what if the goal isn't like understanding this, like so because we're understanding like this this more complex idea of, of of place, right? As more than just a physical location. Like, what if we looked at place from that inclusive context and learning from this idea? Where it's like, how do we just like... Or Star Wars and anything else, or you could have your 10 minutes. Hold on, we're just going to pause there for a second. How do we actually look at like, where are the places where people do feel like they belong, right? Like, what is it about those places that make learning and belonging meaningful and learn from those places? But what if like the ultimate goal here is, how do we increase the places where kids feel like they belong? Right? How do we increase the places where kids feel like they connect, where they not just exist, right? And and so like it just it just made so much sense to me, Joe. And it just it all came from that day, that 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 day where we were talking about this is our, this is our goal. This is it. <sighs> I think about one of those questions you asked about how do we increase those spaces? And the, one of the things that comes to mind too is those places where the kids have influence, where the kids are part of the creation of that space. Um, the it, power that comes in that. It's not about a place where someone's putting anybody. No, it's no, no. They are creating that space. And the, right. the, the yeah, just the, the, the empowerment, not just in the learning context of a, of a school environment, but mm-hmm. in their entire lives, mm-hmm. how powerful that can be. Ugh. Okay. So here's my last question for you, my friend. So knowing what you know and your experiences and your just like wisdom of what place means, 
and knowing what you know about your experiences and your wisdom around what inclusive education means, how do you see these two things coming together in our schools? It's kind of a, a, a maybe a nebulous answer, but the concept of place as part of relationship and that education is about relationship mm-hmm. and understanding that that place is a part of that. When we think about relationship, it's it's more it's bigger than than people to people piece, mm-hmm. um, and that's that that's kind of where I think I keep landing right now. Mm-hmm. It is what is the relationship to where we are? How do we understand our strengths based on where we are, mm-hmm. and how do we then use those strengths? Mm-hmm. And I and I love that because like where this conversation is leading to is like our next session is about agency, right? And this idea of like, who am I in this place, right? Where we start to talk about this whole conversation around like special education has for so long focused on deficits instead of what we're talking about, this idea of who I am in this place. What do I bring to this place? What are my strengths in this place? But also like being okay to acknowledge that I might also have needs in this place, right? And to be able to address those needs without it meaning that I don't belong. And (laughs) Yeah, well, what, any one of us, any one of us in this meeting right now, if we are in our place, as large as we can define that, that means, and we don't feel the connection to it, and we don't feel that it, that it, 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 it provides us with what we need, mm-hmm. how does that affect us? And, and how can we ask for anything less? You know what happens? Kids are like, get me away from this place, right? And, and this, this is what happens is that kids push back. They don't want to be in a place where they don't feel like they belong. They don't want to be in a place where they don't feel like their needs are met. They don't want to be in a place where they don't feel like they're seen and a part of this construction. And you know what that looks like in school? Challenging behavior. But then the, the but then what often happens is what we're going to talk about today is we're like, oh, a kid has challenging behavior. Take them out of the place without understanding that that's a symptom of something so much bigger and that their relationship with place has tension. Right. And so you cannot just focus on an individual, but like, how do we, how do we create opportunities for students to be within the relationships of that place? And that means the place, it means the people within the place. It means, you know, the identity of who we are within that place. And it's just like, how do you capture that? How do you know, how do you know when you're there? Right. And it's just these, these big holistic questions that you just, you realize they're not quantitative. They're not medic medically diagnosable, right? And that's so hard. That's such unfamiliar territory in the world of special education, which is so medically based and so quantitative and so deficit based. Like, I think one of the biggest shifts in paradigm that has to happen for this conversation is exactly what you're talking about is we need to take a step back and stop looking at the kids and start looking at where are we? Exactly. Where are we and how it, like every place is going to be different. So we can't just apply this formula to every place. Right? I, I keep coming back to, I keep coming back to, if I wouldn't accept it for myself, why would I want a child to accept it? Right. Um, and I think that's a, it's a, it's for me, it's, that's the litmus test right there. No, hundred percent. Hello, hello. Let me turn on my volume. Hello, hello. Who is this, Ted? Hi, this Ted. Hi. Oh my goodness, this is so fun. Are you wearing a Seahawks jersey? I am. Good for you. Is that your team? 
That's our team. That's our closest team. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people from Vancouver will come and drive down to Seattle to see the Seahawks. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's funny. Oregon is split. A lot of them are 49ers guys. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Seattle. Although, you know, I find there's a lot of Green Bay fans. I don't know where they come from. That's like most of our high school is Green Bay. Everyone just loves Green Green, uh, Green Bay. So we got Stephanie. Who else? Who is our Tarazi? Who's that? Hey, I'm the AP at um, OBJH, our school. What's your, what's your name? Rachel. Rachel? Let me rename this. I'm Rachel. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. Hello. Oh, thanks for joining me. Is this everybody? Missing just one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we don't. We didn't really know what we were doing today. So, and there were some people that were. So Ted's. Ted's the guy that's gonna. That's really um, our front man. Um, so. So he definitely needed to be here. I don't know that Kelsey. We have Kelsey Muno, who is an elementary school teacher, and then we have um, Shelly Odell, who is our um, like instructional facilitator. Yeah. Um, for secondary for English. Okay. Um, and so I don't know if they are like really gung ho about being on a podcast. So I don't Fair know enough. if they'll be able to come. But I think the three of us are. Yeah. I don't. Okay. I'm not sure if Kelsey. Kelsey also is an elementary school teacher, so they might still be in right now. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, be- why don't we? We'll get started. And Ted, okay. you're gonna you're gonna be my go-to guy. So what? How? Hi, <laughs> <how>, Ted. <laughs> How we'll start it is um so I'll so I'll start with you Ted and I'll just get yeah. you to introduce everyone on your team, okay. and so and then we'll just kind of go through questions. But don't worry about like this is just a conversation. So I have editing power. None of this is live, so it's going to be nice. Yes, yeah, Steph. Okay. I didn't know we were actually doing the podcast today. Oh yeah, it's today. Oh no, is that bad? Sorry, I totally my. <laughs> I thought we were just talking about. I thought we were praising. Well, that's because that. I, I told because that's what I told you guys. Because that's what I thought it was. Oh. So so. Let's uh, pretend it's a rehearsal. It's just a rehearsal. Well, listen, well, listen to this. Listen to this. We can talk about it today, and then we can set up another time. We just have to do it before the fifteenth. Uh, so you want to talk about it today, and then we can come back. I'm okay with that. Too. I'm uncomfortable. Ted, if you're good to go today, I'm good to go today. But here's another wrench: is that I have my COVID vaccine that I need to be at by 3:50. So oh, this is going to be 20 minutes. Okay. okay. And okay. you just go when you need to go because COVID vaccines are important. Shelly, I'm so sorry. I told. <laughs> I thought that we were just talking about it today. I really was like, don't worry. I think she's going to prep us. And I think we're going to be. Can I just listen then and be. Yes, Rachel, that's fine. Rachel, that's fine. Yes. Ted, don't like all this. Nobody knows I'm here. I'm going to call on you, Rachel. No, 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 no. I'm invisible. (laughs) Can we introduce you? And then if you want something to add, Rachel, you can just let us know. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So, Ted, I'm going to say, can you introduce your team? And then, yes. and then if Stephanie or Rachel have something to add, they can add. Does that work? And Rachel, I am so sorry. What okay. is your last name and how do you say it? I put it. So it's, um, it's Tarazi. Tarazi. Okay. There it is. Got it. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is so easy, friends. This is so, so easy. <laughs> I'm going to walk you through this. And if at the end you're like, that sucked, we can do it again. No problem. <laughs> okay. 
No, this is the beauty of not being live. Do you know what I mean? We can play and cut and edit. No problem. Steph, you owe me coffee. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Can I just give you the coffee card back that you Pretty gave much. me? <laughs> yeah, give what? me that raffle prize back. You're so cute. You're so cute. I interviewed um, the team on Whidbey Island two days ago, and we talked pizza. I mean, like this is this is low stakes, people. <laughs> I've heard a lot of your podcasts. You cannot be not interesting. So that's why I'm not you're worried. So <laughs> you're you're. All we have to do is sit here. You're going to make this awesome. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Okay. So let's get started then. So with me today, I have the Shelton Strategy Seekers because all of our teams had to come up with names and I love them. The, uh, triple, the triple S threat, you could be called. And so I am being joined by our team connector, Ted. Ted, do you want to introduce your team a little bit? Sure. So my name's Ted Cohn. I'm an English teacher, gen ed English teacher at Shelton High School. And we've got Rachel Tarazi, who is our vice principal at Oakland Bay Junior High. And we've got our leader, Stephanie Howard, who is our special ed and math teacher also at OBGH, Oakland Bay Junior High. What a good combination. Math and special ed, golden, amazing. Well, you know what, and I have to tell you, Shelton High School, High school, I know I'm not supposed to have favorites, but high school is my favorite. It's where I do all my research because I feel like that's where inclusion needs the most support is in high schools. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So where's, where is Shelton? Where, where are you in the world of Washington? We're almost like a little mini suburb now of Olympia. We're just a little bit west oh. of Olympia, which means we're closer to the ocean. So better than Olympia, but very close to Olympia. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'm going to have to go like after this series is done, go on a little road trip to all of the little like all of the little inclusive towns that we're working with. <laughs> you are definitely invited. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so as we've been talking um, with different teams around this kind of Washington leadership initiative, um, we have 20 teams and we have been talking to a couple of them. And so you guys are my Shelton team. And so a question I've been asking all the teams is kind of like, what, 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 what made you want to join the series? Like what were some of the questions that you had coming in? Well, Steph Howard um, got us a grant and has been, we've been doing work since last year. Uh, online when COVID started, and she's just been really, really pushing this inclusion initiative for the district, and she's opened it up to the entire district. We've got elementary teachers, middle school, junior high, uh, administrators, and of course, high school. So, um, and tell me if I'm wrong, Steph, of course, I'm putting words in your mouth here. Uh, she found you and was like, oh my gosh, we gotta, we gotta sign up for this stuff. I love that. Steph, can I ask you a question? Yep, of course. So, what is your connection to inclusion? Like, why does this matter to you? Um, I, when I was in my undergrad at Western Washington University, I was really lucky to have some professors that just really, um, advocated for inclusion as a social justice issue. Um, and, um, I got to see the benefits of having all students all together. Um, I did a practicum. I did, I stayed at the middle school that I was at for three years because they did so well. And I had a mentor teacher that I got to be a paraeducator for, then I did my student teaching with. And. Um, and he really advocated for all kids being all together. Um, and I saw some amazing things. I saw some kids working on really, really, really 
like um, adaptive goals and things like that in the general ed classroom. Um, and it was just so natural and stuff. Um, and then I knew I wanted to come back to Shelton. I was raised here. I love Shelton. And I just know that there's our teachers are awesome. And I know that we can support them to do this and have this be the case here as well. Um, and I've tried and failed a lot. Um, I've kind of <laughs> tried a lot of things and there's been some teachers that I've experimented with and putting some of my students in their classes and it has not gone well all the time. And um, so then when I, our school got this uh, grant, our district got this grant, um, I, we got, were able to make this team of people from the district who are all on the same page. And, um, and so that's kind of what brought us to you and your training. Um, your training was brought to us as an opportunity and we signed up as fast as we could. And so that's where we're at. We're kind of at, um, at the wrapping our brains around things and helping everybody see this as the road to success for our students. And I like, I like what you said, Stephanie, because like, it's very, very often. So, well, first of all, sometimes it's the hardest to get the special educators to see what's different. And so when you have like a power special educator leading the cause, especially in a secondary school, like you can go real, real far. So good for you for leading that. Um, but I love what you said about kind of just like, you know, when you see it in action, it's really hard to unsee it, you know? And that's kind of like what people say to me, they're just like, Shelly, you know, like, how do you know this works? Like, why do you keep doing this? And I'm like, because you can't forget it. You can't like, once you see it working, it's it, that's what causes kind of that, that flame to keep going. And so I, I appreciate when people have seen it. And so then the job is for everyone else to say, okay, well, if you haven't seen it, how do we make it visible? How do we make it so that people can see what's possible and they realize it's not so scary and it's different than we know, but it's still very possible and it benefits so many kids. Right. So I, I, I can, I can, I can connect with that experience of just like, Oh no, there's no other way. Once you see the way. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. It's like, you guys don't know what's out there. Like, I know. <laughs> you know what we could be doing right now? <laughs> oh, so good. It's so good. I know. I love it. I love it. So, Okay, then. And so then thinking about your team, like specifically, and, and any, any one of you can answer this question, is based, because we've had two sessions so far, we've talked about um, kind of the big kickoff, right? And we've had a session about presuming competence or presuming potential we talked about. And excuse me, we talked about the, like kind of the concept, concept of place. And so my question is, it, like, what are some things that your team has been trying since this series started? Go for it, Howard. I, um, the thing that I've really been trying is I, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but it really just triggered a switch in my brain about, um, oh, I know what it was. There's something like, we're not trying to, um, put a whole bunch of students with, um, special ed service in your, special ed services in your class. We're trying to put a whole bunch of support in your class. Um, and that, and so, uh, my schedule right now is I have two of my own classes for students with IEPs and then I have two periods where I get to go into other teachers classrooms and support and it's kind of called co-teaching but I don't feel like I do that part of it super well I don't feel like I you know we don't do the teaching exactly the same and everything mm -hmm. I'm trying to view myself as like a huge amount of support for every kid in the class um, and being able to wrap my brain around oh no just be as much support as you possibly can. Give as many strategies as you possibly can to the whole class. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of helped me see my job more clearly in the past month because 
I feel like that gives me more flexibility instead of just being like, how can I meet this kid's IEP accommodations? How can I do this? It's like, what do I have to offer to make this accessible for everybody in the class? And I think that the teachers are noticing a difference and I feel like I'm able to be more helpful with that kind of mindset. So that's made a huge difference for me. I had a, well, cause I was a support teacher in high school for, for years. And there was a, a, a moment when I was you, right? Like I was kind of like half the day with my students with cognitive disabilities, half the day I was like you, like trying to get to all the classrooms. And it was a tur- exactly how you're saying, like it was a turning point in my brain when I realized I don't have a caseload of kids anymore. I have a caseload of teachers. I have a caseload of classrooms now. And so really thinking about like, it's not about meeting the needs of individual kids in classes, but now it's like, how do I support these classes or how support teachers to meet the needs of all of all of the classes or all of the kids in the class. So it, uh, it, it, it is a really good shift in, in that perspective. So very fancy. <laughs> all right. So Ted, we have someone who knew, who's new, who just joined us. Who is, who are you, Kelsey? Tell us who you are. Hi, I'm Kelsey Mino. I am a special education resource room teacher at Bordeaux Elementary. That's perfect. And so, so Kelsey's joining us and we have just been talking about things that we've been trying since the series began. And so do you want to add anything, anything that you've been trying in your context? Um, I feel like as far as we have our own kind of inclusionary committee that I'm sure they've talked about, um, as part of Shelton. And so we meet monthly and uh, our school counselor has really taken the lead on really kind of making our inclusionary practices kind of come to life. By the end of the school year, it seems like something that we're determined to do. Um, we did a survey with our staff. And so we kind of tried to get um, a feel from them what they think inclusion means, what that would look like in the classroom to them. It gave us a lot of good information, not only kind of their thoughts on inclusion, but then also what they want to do with their special education students and how they want to include them and what inclusion looks like for them implementing that into the classroom and when to meet and all of those fun little details were also included in that survey. So we got to collect some data as far as that goes. So we kind of have an idea of some available times to meet with our staff, to talk about inclusion, to kind of do some planning and all of those fun teacher things. Um, And then we've also been meeting with somebody from ESD or, um, and so she is part of a grant that we have and she also has been helping us with the universal learning I'm going to, I'm not going to know all of the terms. It's totally okay. Universal learning is perfect. Okay. Um, So she's kind of walking us through those steps and we're in the very beginning of meeting with her to then meet with our grade level teams. And then hopefully, um, I think the goal would be as long as we just do something very small before the end of the year, because a lot of our teachers are just, trying to survive right now. So last thing we want to do is makes things tricky. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Last thing we want to do is overwhelm them even more. So Mm -hmm. um, that's our plan right now. Just do Mm -hmm. something really small by the end of the year. I think that will seem like a big victory. Well, and I like that you got their, got the teacher voice too. Like a lot of times Mm -hmm. teachers will feel like this is something that's happening to them as opposed to keeping them 
central to the process and getting their voices um, as a part of that and their preferences and trying to figure out like how how can we support you and understanding that that might look different to different teachers. When Stephanie was talking, she was saying how, um, you know, understanding that shift from how do we support teachers to how do we support individual students. And, you know, we're going to talk about this next next this next session, but a colleague of mine, Leighton Schnellert, uh, he talks about uh, the collaborative menu of supports and thinking about like, you know, as a special educator, if I were to, pr to, to, to make a list of all the things I could do, right, to support a classroom and then say, hey, teacher, like, what's your appetizer going to be? What's your main, what's your main dish going to be? What's your dessert going to be? So that they have a choice in the selection, but everyone gets a meal. Yes, yeah, Steph, go ahead. Uh, we actually, I, I can't believe I didn't mention this. We actually are running with that idea at Oakland Ooh. Bay. Yes. And we are making kind of like an RT, modeled after RTI yes. situation menu of supports. So we're going to make um, like, what can I do? Like, like whole class stuff, like can we teach a whole class intervention? Like if the whole class struggled with this, can we teach a whole class lesson? Mm -hmm. um, what can we do for any of the struggling students? And then what we, can we do for the students who have like the modifications on their IEP? So kind of having it tiered similar to the RTI triangle mm -hmm. um, and then having it be options for what can we do for you in class and what can we teach you as a teacher to do for uh, your students? I love that. So we're like, we're in the very, we're listing our ideas and stuff and we have not made it yet. Um, but yeah, that's one of our big things that, because what one of my failures early on was being like, okay, inclusion means I am teaching your class half the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that doesn't fly super well because yeah. I thought that being a co-teacher meant that. And so when you said that, we kind of ran with it and I'm really excited to actually have ideas that teachers can actually choose what fits for them rather well, than me at, like, class. If you and, look at students with challenging behavior, like a go-to strategy is offer choice, right? And so if you think about this in terms of adults, if adults are having challenging behavior, a go-to strategy is gonna be to offer choice because what that what's that doing? It's maintaining their integrity and their agency and their self-determination. And so it's kind of like, I, I, I remember, um, when I first started this process too, I would ask teachers, like, hey, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And they're like, just take them out. Just take, but then I realized that that's not them protesting. They don't know what to choose from. They have no idea what else exists other than just take them out. And so providing that, you know, here are options, right? Um, and also, because I think there's a lot of teachers who fear that co-teaching is the only option. And that doesn't necessarily match with everybody's style and so I'm being like okay we can still have collaborative support and there's different ways that we can do that but just pulling out isn't one of those options right so what we can have multiple learning spaces we can have consultation time we can have planning time like there's so many different things we can do but it's like when you ask kids like how do you want to show your learning and they're like a test because that's all they know it's all they know it's all it's all they've been taught and so i can appreciate that and the menu was um a great strategy um for teachers too from that from that special education or support lens for sure oh i like you guys okay ted this one's for you tell me something that you think your team is really learning through this series well, we started off with the idea of how do we change the culture, and you've been giving us a lot of tools with that, um, just in refocusing the idea of what inclusion actually is to the idea of universal design. This idea of and what Stephanie mentioned at the beginning, the flip of versus here they come, deal with them, to here come the resources, you're welcome. That's kind of the flip trying to do. 
still um, worried at the building level of uh, getting buy-in on this. Um, for example, I teach AP English and AP has the law, AP for all, you cannot withhold a special education student. Um, and that is, and so you have to meet all these different levels with that. And that's something um, in my building, I've been having to work really hard with the culture of, you have to let this kid into AP. If they want to come in, you got to let them. Mm-hmm. And we're still just in this kind of, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> school set. Yeah. Of, of inclusion is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. and still scary for a lot of people. So we've definitely made some strides, but still, um, we still got some work to do. Well, and I think, you know, and I think it's, I appreciate that you said that Ted, because I think like you can believe in inclusion all you want, but if you don't actually know what to do on Tuesday morning, people are going to push back. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, we could talk about it. We'd be like, inclusion is so good. But when you have a student who maybe has Down syndrome in an AP English class 12, what do you, what is, what is that kid doing for 80, 90 minutes? (laughs) What are they doing? And so this is where, you know, we're going to start moving into, into the, yeah, we believe they can learn. We believe they deserve to be here. We're removing barriers. Now what? You know, because you realize it's like, those are great things, but it's still not enough, right? It's still not enough. And so our next session is going to be like, okay, we believe they're in the class. Now let's talk about the role of peers, right? What's the role of peers? Now let's talk about what's the purpose. So that's, we're going to start talking about IEPs. Now let's talk about how do we plan for this diverse range of needs and ability in an English AP class, right? And so, so I can appreciate that that's your question right now because that's exactly where you should be, right? Be like, okay, okay, what's next? What's next? We're ready, we're ready. And uh, but I can appreciate people who are haven't been a part of the conversation. You know, they still aren't believers yet because they still haven't seen it, right? We may have, we might be getting them to be thinking differently, but they're not gonna jump. They're not gonna jump until they see. This actually, what does this look like on Tuesday? So that's my, that's my goal. That's my goal is to show you, to show you like, yeah, the Tuesday morning nitty gritty details. Oh, it's just so exciting. Okay. So what do you think are your next steps? Anyone? I, as um, Kelsey mentioned the survey, I know we're trying to implement that across all buildings to collect data. And then I've talked with some of the special ed teachers at the high school and who I've co-taught with and, and tell me what you think of this and how this could roll out again, trying to change the culture. That's yeah. our goal, right? Is do we present, Hey, co-teaching, it's not that scary. It can be fun. Um, I guess for me, my next thing is really to sell it, um, to make it palatable for uh, the rest of the community. Mm-hmm. And I love, and I just coming back to what Stephanie said earlier is I think right now, especially in the time where a lot of us, especially as white people are reevaluating our roles and our privilege connected to social justice. You know, it's, it's, it's a timely conversation to have when we start to say, okay, yeah, no, we are reflecting, we're evaluating, we are unlearning in terms of race and culture and gender and sexuality. And let's just also add the little ability conversation on there too, because very often ability gets this asterisk that's just like, oh yeah, but it's still okay that they get sent down the hall. You know, so it's kind of like, wait a second, wait a second. If we want to talk about social justice and inequity, 
let's talk about social justice and inequity and you know kind of the 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 anti-race anti-racism movement that's happening right now i don't want to take away from that but people are listening and they're hearing and i'm like okay so let's keep listening and hearing because there's so many populations that we need to have this conversation about right and so um i think that especially um, at a high school level where I think there's a lot of educators who are deeply, deeply rooted in social justice issues. It's not, they don't have to look very far to understand that there are social justice issues in every building, whether or not there's racial issues in every building, right? And so I think that those types of conversations are really, it's timely. Yeah, Steph. Um, I was just going to add it. I completely agree with everything you just said. I was just going to add in also what our next steps are is, and sorry to kind of shift it a little bit, but Problem. forget about our next steps at Oakland Bay. We're trying to like really sell the going off of Ted selling it. We're trying to sell the, this is, should be, if we're done right, this is easier, not harder. Oh, totally. Um, because we're pooling our resources. You already have kiddos with challenges in your classes. We might as well not separate some of them so that we can pool our resources together. Um, and so Elise, who's, uh, who Kelsey was talking about, she's from ESD 113. She's kind of helping our group out with some stuff. Um, she really said something that was like, um, you know, that this is, this is, it should be, we want to, we don't want to really, you know, how I imagine it in my head is, we're used to differentiate. You differentiate for this kid, you differentiate for this kid, you differentiate for this kid, you differentiate for this kid. And we're trying to move from that kind of to how do we set it up? One plan. Accessible in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that's, and I think that's our next step is wrapping our yep. brain around that and, and telling our, our No staff. one has time for more than one plan. There's no teacher I've ever met who has time for more than one plan. And I'll go into classrooms and I'm like, okay, I have 14 different learning plans in this room. And I'm like, what? Why, why are, why are you still working? Quit. This is too hard. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not efficient. It's not efficient. And so it's like, I understand that there is a level of efficiency here that people need to see in order to buy in. And it's exactly like you're saying, like, how do we move away from adaptations and modifications for every single learner to let's just design this right the first time. Right. This is our goal. And especially in secondary school, I think that that is really critical because you're dealing with different, a different level of kind of norm referencing than, tip, than, than, than usual. So you're already kind of situated within a deficit based framework. And so it's so shifting that mindset is going to be it's going to be tricky, but it's so possible and it helps so many kids. Oh, what a fun team. Yay, Shelton and adjoining schools. <laughs> Okay, last, last ideas or thoughts before we say goodbye. You feeling okay? Okay, give me a cool fact about Shelton. Christmas Town, USA. You're no, are you serious? of the United States of America. No way, what does that mean? You have Christmas trees everywhere? Yes. <gasps> In this book of world records. It means it means a few things, Shelley. It means that we have Forest Festival every year where we have lumberjack competitions. What? It means when the high school scores a touchdown, they saw off a piece of a tree. What? Uh, we really like our trees here in Shelton. <laughs> okay. You have just put Shelton on my bucket list of life destinations. Yes, come because visit. I need to go, I need to come to Christmas tree town. <laughs> this is the best. Does that mean that there's lights everywhere too? Oh, Ted. Amazing lights. This yeah. is happening. 
This is happening. Okay. Christmas Tree Town, USA. If you come next Christmas, we'll personally give you a tour of all I, the best lights. I love this plan. And you know, I'll be a parent by then, so I'll tote my little sidekick with me and we'll is go look weird, at Isn't it like acceptable to say I knew that because I follow you on Instagram, but I, oh, you know, I absolutely <laughs> say that because my Instagram is wide open. So yeah, totally. The new little one. Cool. That's awesome. It's very exciting and it's going to happen very soon. So I'll come, I'll come to our next meeting, not our next meeting, probably the, no, maybe our next meeting with like my little bundle. I'll be like, Hey, look, Look, everyone, <laughs> it'll be so fun. <laughs> okay, well, Team Shelton, thank you so much for joining with me today. You did awesome. I know that this was kind of sprung on you, so. <laughs> Sorry again. Well, thank you. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's This is good feedback for me to be really clear in my emails. <laughs> okay, friends, well, thank you so much for joining me and um, on this Friday afternoon. And um, I hope that you have a fabulous weekend and you take a break for yourselves. Thanks so much for having us. Super appreciate it. No, so fun. You guys, yeah, we, really, we really are getting a lot from it and we're just super excited and grateful to be in your training. So thank you for, I feel like you have a way to put things that are like way more digestible than I've ever heard of inclusion being talked about before and way more practical and way more can get more buy-in and stuff. And so it's like, I've been working on, I've been working here for six years and I feel like I've made more progress in the past two months in wrapping my brain around what it should look like than I have in a long time. So oh, really that's music to my ears, Stephanie. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I'm glad I'll, all I wish is for the conversations we have to be useful. So if that's making a difference for kids, then we're going to keep going. Thank you. Thank you. What does that look like on Tuesday morning phrase? Because that yeah. is, what I need to like get in my head. And so I'm stealing that line. No, take it, <laughs> take it, put it in your pocket. And you know what? Now I'm going to be like my goal. Next time you see me, I'll be like, this is for Kelsey. I got to know <laughs> what this looks like on Tuesday morning. <laughs> okay, friends, I will see you again soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. So my question is like, what made you want to join the cohort? Like what were some of the questions you had going in? I don't know. I don't know. We're, first of all, we are yeah. just like, love you. <laughs> and like, so when we saw that you were assigned to this and we all, you know, we're passionate about inclusion to begin with, but when yeah. we saw that you were added to this, we're like, oh, we're in. Like Sarah was I like, I'm applying for this. Do you want to be on this? I'm like, oh, oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Good. Okay. Next question. Moving on. <laughs> this is Rebecca and I's second year working mm -hmm. together. Okay. Yeah. And we found last year um, when we were working together that we really have a lot of the same, I guess, goals and ideas of what um, serving our special education students should look like. Right. And um, we find that a lot of what we do now is um, from a kind of a, a I guess a more like traditional role like, and we yeah. know that we need to change and we need mm -hmm. to grow and we need to be able to serve the needs of our students in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so we've had a lot of discussions about how are we going to change what we do to be most impactful for our students and families yeah. 
And this was one of those ways we were like, oh, yeah. this kind of goes with everything that we believe in with mm-hmm. inclusion really covers like just this broad umbrella of oh, what huge. we believe yeah. in for our students. Well, and that was kind of like the, the hope of the series was just like, listen, special education is a dynasty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like it has yeah. not changed ever. No ever and so now all of a sudden we're trying to like move to inclusion but we're still trying to be inclusive using special education processes mm-hmm. and they actually are contradictory yeah and so a lot of people struggle and so then it's just kind of like well how so this is the conversation we've been having is just like how do we evolve both systems not just try and force two different systems together right mm-hmm. and so i appreciate that because that's a question that a lot of people come up with which is how do we evolve kind of our special education model to not only be more inclusive, but also like less deficit based? Absolutely. Yes. And that's a really hard shift, I think, for um, a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we're really working on. And I find myself falling back into the old way of thinking sometimes. And I have to give myself like that internal pep talk of I love the presuming competence yes. and that idea of uh, that. Yeah that's mm-hmm. where we need to start. And so making sure that that's where our conversation starts mm-hmm. instead of here's what's wrong, but here's what's right. And so right, I do right. the Yeah. And just your whole visual of like the circles and the green circles. It's just circles. Like, right? It was just like mind blowing. It was oh. like, wow. I can't even tell you when I first saw that diagram, I never thought in a million years it would be following me around for 15 years. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so like, my question though, so we've had two sessions together. So the first one was about presuming competence or has, or as Joe taught us in the last, podcast about presuming potential like what a power yeah, right i love that it is like oh my goodness i can't stop thinking about it and then in our last session we started talking about place and not yeah. only the role of place but the impact of place mm-hmm. and so i'm curious from kind of like your little team like what were some of your takeaways or ideas or learnings connected to that idea of place i think that one of the things that i think of most for place you gave the example of um i think that you use the example of the students who were um emerging uh language students mm-hmm. and or even just students who had um maybe some language deficits in terms of um speech language pathology right. and how do you set up an entire classroom to be able to meet the needs of those students that is not going to i mean when you put those supports in place the students that don't need them don't need to use them and they're right, not going right. to you But why not give that option to all students to be able to have it there as like a ladder of success? And so if they do need it, then they've got it there. Absolutely. Like your example of the gas station. The gas station. And I was like, oh my God, I can totally understand how this would be a huge problem. Well, then it was a a huge problem for Canadians. Right. Right. (laughs) I've never thought of it like that before. How how would you even know? Right. And how simple a sticker was. Right. Right. And so I was in another building the other day and all our kids have Chromebooks and this kid was having a really hard time logging on. So they put a simple sticker on his laptop, on his Chromebook that now he can log on. No problem. I'm thinking, why don't we do this for all kids? Because then they have it. And if kids who don't need it, don't have to use it. But it's like a four cent sticker like your example four cent sticker and you know what the thing that i'm learning the most is that like if only one kid has a sticker on their computer they're not gonna use it because they're mm-hmm. it's stigmatized right and so right. having that but you know jack who's who's our guy he said you know the other thing and i didn't think about this he's just like but you know by using the sticker it's also not taking away from other people who don't need it 
Right. And which like, is a huge myth. Hurt them to have the sticker. Totally. It's a huge myth. And so, so what, so what we're kind of talking about is this idea of like, what are strategies we can put in the place that's mm-hmm. yeah. everybody, as opposed to mm-hmm. looking at what do we need to change in this individual? Well, we have to work on their memory if they can't remember. They have to, you know what I mean? We have to do right. drills to help them remember their password or whatever it happens to be or their logon. Yeah. Or just, is that really the battle you're going to choose? And and I think often with our kids, we choose the wrong battles instead of just teaching mm-hmm. them the strategies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I like you too. <laughs> okay. So. I'm going to be here. <laughs> So my other question is t- connected to actions. So one huge focus that we have for this series is it's an increased series that really targets like what um, actions can we take to either build capacity or to, to, to stretch beyond our cohort. And so, yeah, that's my question is what are some, some of those kind of like actions that you've taken since we've been working together? I think Sarah's done a great job at this in her building. Just tell me like everything. Sarah. So we've really been diving into building the capacity of our adults. And so um, making sure that people have a firm understanding of what it means to have inclusionary practices, um, what it means to kind of shift the way that we think about our students who qualify for special services. Um, that idea that every student is first and foremost a general education student. Um, and that I, I think that the model that like hammers at home is the difference between like true inclusion and just having students in the classroom. Existing, yeah. Yeah, and that yeah. existence versus that inclusionary um, idea and mm-hmm. a building of community. And so the biggest thing is our school is that we really talk about our school community and how we want our school community to be super welcoming to everybody that walks in. We want it to be a place where a parent who's having a bad day that they can come in and say, hey, I'm really overwhelmed today and I need your help. A kid that's having a bad day can come in and say, hey, I'm having a really bad day. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. And so a place that provides that um, that open opportunity to be able to seek out what you need. And so that's something that we need to extend to all of our students and all of our families. Mm-hmm. So we've been working on that with the capacity of adults. Mm-hmm. We've had um, part of our staff meeting for like the last month has been included every single time to inclusionary practices. So we're actually using your five minutes more mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. jumping off point. Mm-hmm. Um, we see created... the new one. Uh, what's I that? haven't watched it yet. Oh, yeah, it's a bug. Is that yesterday, right? About? Nope, I have not oh, watched it yet. You gotta watch it. It's about exactly what you're talking about, like the difference between existing and that sense of belonging and that sense of welcoming. And yes. Excellent. So we'll all have to check yes. it out. So we're using those as the jumping off point though to like lead discussion and things like that. Um, so we're building the capacity of staff mm-hmm. and then we're really starting to talk about like, is this really that big of a shift? Mm-hmm. Is this such a shift that it has to make you feel overwhelmed, nervous? And also that it's not that there's something that we need to change about the student, but it's something that we need to change about us as adults and about the way that we focus our classrooms and the way that we center our classrooms so it's, it's not about yeah yeah so that's what we're working on so we did it so much doing, easier and i and i sometimes like this is helpful for sometimes people to hear it's like it's so much easier for us as non-disabled people to change than it is mm-hmm. to try and change a disability within a person Absolutely. Well, and it shouldn't be something that we attempt to change well exactly but that's what like just that whole idea of like the dynasty of special education. That's right. exactly what the goal has been, is to change yeah. this fundamental part of who they are or view disability as something that 
is a deficit or needs to change. And yeah. so, and, and I guess one part that I didn't even realize going through this process is how important that mind shift is. Like, I just, I, it took me a while to just like realize that I just assumed, well, why wouldn't you think that? But you realize not everybody thinks that. No, no. <laughs> and even if you do think it, it's still though sometimes like I find myself like having a different narrative and I have to, I have to shift my That's thinking. Again. And so mm -hmm. I think it's really important just that you have to keep shifting and growing. And so today we had 50 paras from across the district oh. join a PD on an inclusionary practices. Oh. They spent two hours this morning mm -hmm. That's so cool. talking about inclusion. And it was really um, amazing because um, there was one mom who actually has a student in my building Mm -hmm. And he is um, qualifies for our, one of our life skills programs. Mm -hmm. And so to hear from her perspective, what inclusion means to her mm -hmm. and how we've had to kind of go away from that in the time of COVID um, with cohorts and things like that and about safety, it's been really hard because her child has not been included with his classroom this year. And then another student who actually has a visual impairment, he's completely included in his classroom and his supports are built into everything that we do but we've just started teaching his classmates about him mm. and how empowering it was for him to stand up in front of his peers and tell them about i'm visually impaired and to make that just a norm in their classroom and so now they're going to start using braille as a part of their literacy station no. the students are going to have braille activities yeah. a part of what they do <laughs> and when they introduce now alphabet sounds and the letters they're going to introduce them in braille of course and i know so oh, like just those little yeah. things that just that shift in perspective gives for uh gives that opportunity to see things a different way and i love that you brought the student in as a part of that demystification just be like this is who i am this is what you need to know just ask me questions right mm -hmm. and i think that that goes such a long ways in terms of making it so it doesn't have to be weird, different or scary. Right. Hey, I love that. I love that. Um, COVID has affected a lot of communities. And, you know, like I was even just talking to um, a director this morning who was just like, I feel like COVID has sent us back 10 years in time yeah. in the inclusion movement. And so that has been um, a difficult a difficult barrier to navigate in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. What has been interesting though, coming out of COVID is just like, people have, there's a lot of kids who have gone now into non-inclusive settings because of cohorts or whatever. Right. But they realize even with the efforts that have been made to move towards inclusion, even if they're not already there, even if, even if they still have a long ways to go, people are noticing now going back, how important it is to keep going forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's one of those situations where it's just like, okay, we have to do this this year, but this doesn't feel right anymore. Right. It Absolutely. doesn't, we, no. like, now that we know what's possible, now that we know what it could be, now that we know, now that we've seen it, this is no longer comfortable to continue. And even, even if people only get that feeling out of COVID to know this is happening now, but we can't stay here. I, that is a huge learning because there are so many people who are just like, no, we got to go back. This isn't working. This isn't working. But why would you go back? Right. COVID made us go back. And it's kind of been like, oh, this is why we can't go back. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yes. It's yeah. Been kind of we're like, taking this opportunity. Yeah. We're taking this opportunity right now to learn and grow. Like, right. Time, right. So like, like, okay. So, back, but we're not taking the step back forever. Like, well, exactly. we, have we have plans. No, and that's <laughs> we, just it, right? We do have plans. Like, okay. So, exactly what you said. Like, what, how is this going to be an opportunity 
to feel what used to be normal, which is no longer okay. Right. Right. Like that sense of discomfort, I think is really good for us to feel, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it's also, exactly how, you say how are it. we going to, how are we going to push the boundaries even more yeah. than yeah. we already have? So we knew that we were here yeah. We've taken a step back, mm-hmm. but we know that we need to be forward. Yeah. And yeah. so now when we go forward, we're not just going to stop where we were. Right. We are right. going to continue There's to so push much. even more and to be able to really mm-hmm. change the way that our students um, are a part of communities in our, in our system. Mm-hmm. I love that. And even if, and even if after this whole series is done, there is that kind of like mentality of it's possible. We've moved a mountain, mm-hmm. right? We've moved a mountain. And so, you know, and so like, kind of like exactly what you're doing is having these conversations with support staff, with parents, with kids, with teachers, just to be like, we're moving, get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> we're not slowing down. You might get knocked over, especially with you two. Well, go ahead and tell our assistant superintendent that because I feel uh-huh. like he does that sometimes. <laughs> Shelly Moore said. <laughs> we'll let Dwight know because I'm pretty sure yeah, he does that anyways. He okay, does. So our next session is about, it's actually, you know how this is the five Ps? Right. In this next one, there's so many Ps. We're talking about peers. We're talking about proximity. We're talking about participation, you know, because it's that whole idea of like, okay, okay, okay. How do you make it so that a kid doesn't just exist? Like, how do you actually facilitate them to be a part of the community? How do we actually get them within proximity to participating and learning with and connected to peers? And so thinking about that coming up, um, what are some of your, like, what, like, what are you hoping to get out of that? What are some ideas, some questions, some hopes about that session? And what are you hoping to kind of take away? I think that what I'm hoping to take away is um, a way to help our educators take the the fear out of it. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's um, sometimes inclusion becomes a fear based mm-hmm. and an uh, an idea of am I enough? Like, am I going to do the right thing? Am I going to am I going to act the right way? And um, but taking away some of that fear and replacing it with the I cans and we've got this and mm-hmm. some of those um, hints and those things that will help make it a process that doesn't feel overwhelming or scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think and I think they are right now. Yeah. They just see it as overwhelming and scary and not feeling like they know enough to be able to support that student when they, to me, are the master teachers. And I was, that's exactly what I was going to say is that so often the fear really resides in us as adults, right? Very few, very few of us um, went to school in an inclusive context. Exactly. Right. Like we don't, we, we haven't had a lot of exposure to disability unless of course we have someone in our family, but in terms of education, mm-hmm. I was the kid with a disability. <laughs> and so to actually have, have students with visible disabilities in a class, like if people don't know, if they don't understand, they're going to push back. And so often it's the adults, teachers, parents, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Who feel really yeah. uncomfortable if they haven't had any exposure to that identity. But kids often, especially like the little guys, they're just like, is it they're just in our class? I did interviews with high school students who had grown up in cohorts with kids with disabilities. And uh-huh. so I, I remember asking this one student, he was in grade 11, and I'm just like, what's it like having a student with a disability in your class? And he looked at me, he's like, that's the weirdest question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, that's like asking me, like, what's it like that water's wet? Oh, good. 
Yes. I know. And I was like, to get everywhere. That's, what, they, we're working, that's they, what we're working towards. Right. Like it wasn't even a question because he didn't even know any different. Right? right. And he's just like, this is just, this is my class. And it just, it was so, and I'm like, that's what I never had growing up. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that sense of either that I was just a part of the community or that we had others who were just a part of the community so mm-hmm. much so that it just feels normal. And that's right. what we're, that is our goal, yeah. Yeah. but it's just that it's that adult fear base mm-hmm. and it doesn't come from a place of, um, not wanting inclusion. It yeah. comes from a place of worry about, am I going to do it the right way? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be yeah. enough? Yeah. And making sure that we just kind of take that down a notch and it's going to be okay. And I like what you say about like creating that sense of community for the adults in the building. Cause yeah. if they feel safe, then they'll take risks. It's mm-hmm. when they don't feel safe that it's going to come out as challenging behaviors. <laughs> like, because yeah. that took me a long time to realize too, is that when teachers were pushing back, I thought it was because they were protesting inclusion as opposed right. to no. not knowing what to do and not feeling safe to take a risk like that. Right. If we can get to the bottom of that. Then and I feel like that really came out with COVID too, because yeah. a lot of our students, we kept them in the gen ed all day because of cohorts and we couldn't break up those bubbles and teachers were really like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? And, um, but I think that has, I think that has, um, really taken off this year as we've continued, they've continued to have them in class. Cause we wanted that community and that buy-in um from them and I think it's gotten better you could speak more to yeah. it but I think I, I think there's this fear at first um your Dr. Baked Potato kind of um sums it up really well in terms of um can you come and take the the butter off of this potato for this student right now can you come and unbutter yes. the potato can you come and unbacon <laughs> the potato yes um and so that's exhausting Yep. And that's what we're used to. <laughs> I think that it's still the idea though of um how can I adapt and change in an effective manner to be able to meet the needs of all the students in my classroom mm-hmm. without it feeling like I am not doing it the right way. I'm not enough. I'm not doing I I have to accommodate. I have to modify all of those things. So it's finding the balance between those and giving um all of our hardworking adults who are doing their best. Yeah the feeling of efficacy of you've got this, you know how to do this. And it's okay to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. It's okay to make a mistake. That's no how we learn. Going to end the world. No. And yeah. we have great teachers. Oh, you know, absolutely. We have great I would take, I would take a teacher who's willing to learn and knows nothing about inclusion mm-hmm. than someone who's not willing to learn and think they know it all. Absolutely. Definitely. Because like the growth and the potential of teachers who are, who are open to shifting their practice, like, of course, with support, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think anyone can do this by themselves, mm-hmm. but being open to the possibility of what it means to build capacity in an area of your practice that you're not comfortable or confident with, mm-hmm. that will move mountains. Oh. And that is where everybody is right now. They're like, okay, we just need the next step. What, what do we need to do to be able to make our classroom more inclusive? Well, how are we going to move forward? And so that's why we're working on just short little snippets. Um, mm-hmm. But we need more as well. And I think you guys are really going to like um, the last session. Oh, good. Because the last session is the P for planning. Nice. How do we plan for everybody now, right? Like right mm-hmm. now, it's kind of like, well, what do we need to do to get ready? How do we set up the conditions around? But the, fi- the fifth P is the money one. Yeah, nice. So like, yeah. Hey, we're really taking this opportunity during COVID yeah. to be like, let's learn about it, to learn, to grow, to prepare for next year. You know what? I'm so glad you found me. 
we're, we're so, so glad you did too. <laughs> no, so I, I love it. I think we're so glad guys, we got to be a part of your cohort. Uh, I'm so <laughs> glad that you're in there too. It's been so fun. What is your team name again? The O team. Oh, 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 yeah, the O H team. The O H because Oak Harbor. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. O team. <laughs> it was so funny because the first session you were the O team. Right. And then the second teacher, you were the OH team. And I'm like, yeah. are they going to spell something out after you? <laughs> Man, <laughs> I feel like we really should have planned more ahead for that. That would have been a good day. Because then we thought we should be the amazing team. <laughs> oh, you know what? And then session three, just add an M. And I'm like, oh, I got you. I got you. We don't have enough <laughs> sessions, though. Gosh darn it. How about you could be oh my oh my and then watch for it, Shelly. Watch for it. If anyone can do it, it's you. Okay, you two. I want to thank you. Oh, I have one more one more thing because I just like your enthusiasm. Is there's many people who listen to this. Okay, so like a th like thousands of people are going to be listening to this conversation. I said this to Joe last time. <laughs> And she had a panic attack. And so I don't mean to give you a panic attack, but there's a lot of people listening and, you know, they hear a lot of me, right? And so my, my question is, is like, you have a platform right now where thousands of people have, are going to listen to you. Like, what advice would you give to people out there who are beginning their inclusive journey? Start. I think don't be scared to try. Start and don't be scared to try. And also, I'm um, just mm -hmm. dig. Yeah. Find somebody that you can connect with and that you can bounce ideas off of mm -hmm. and that you can be a team with um, mm -hmm. and surround yourself with people who we don't always agree, right. but we'll push back on each other and then we can come back together and talk about a new, a new idea. So start, so you start thinking and find yeah. your team, find your people, go with the goers. Absolutely. Do you guys, have you heard of Jodi Carrington? No, no. She's like, she's like a Canadian Brene Brown. Oh, oh yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> up. No, you got it. She's she's phenomenal and she's so funny. Um, but she has this one quote that I love, and it's like, sit with the winners and the conversation will change. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. <laughs> I may have screwed up the words a little bit, but it's that idea. It's just like, who are you sitting with? Are you sitting with people who build you up? Are you sitting with people who are, are ready to go and are charging forward? Are you sitting with people who are like this isn't going to happen. This isn't, you know what I mean? Like, who's yeah. at the table? And I would sit at your your table. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. I'm like, so happy to have Sarah on board in the oh, district because it. we're just doing, we were hoping to do a lot of great work for special education, EL students. Yeah. The whole gamut. No, I love it. Well, I'm excited <laughs> to see where you go, how, where you end up through this series. And I'm just really happy you're there. And so, um, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank for you for having us. Me. Oh, okay, say bye, everybody. Bye. Holy moly. Today's a long one. Oh, did you listen to those conversations or what? And what do you think about Joe? She brilliant. She's so brilliant. Oh my goodness. You guys need to connect with Joe. I will post all of her info, like I said, in the interview, because she's just amazing and everyone in the world needs to know her. Um, so big ideas from Joe. Uh, I mean, I kind of talked about them already, but just like, can we just talk about the moments that I was warning you about? Like the big, the big learning for me 
was when someone, because someone asked me this question once, she's like, why do we need to learn about indigenous ways of knowing? Why aren't we learning about Danish ways of knowing? Why aren't we learning about, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I use Danish because I'm Danish. Why are we learning about every culture's ways of knowing? And Joe says, where can you go to find those ways? And you realize that there's a, there's a place to go for every way. And the place for indigenous ways of knowing is the place that we're in. And so that just, ugh, it just got me right in the feels. It just, I just, if I could go back in time and tell the person in that moment, those words, it's just so impactful. Um, and so if you, I mean, and this is going to be my, this is going to be my challenge for today is, you know, you know, because we're talking about places is learn about your place, learn about the history of your place. I remember because I grew up in Northside Edmonton and uh, there's that, there's that app or that website you can go to where you look up um, residential schools that were near you. And I just, I, we didn't even talk about residential schools like any, anywhere, anywhere in my education. <laughs> I didn't learn about residential schools till I was an adult and lived in British Columbia. And, uh, and I looked up where the nearest residential school was and it was like 10 minutes from my house. So, you know, like, and it was still open when I was in school. Like, you know, this isn't, this isn't the distant memories. And so this isn't the, or the distant past. Um, and so I just, just learn about the place you're in, learn about the people who are in this place, learn about the history of the place that you're in. I can't tell you enough because, um, you know, what the, the connection that I've made to inclusion is that, you know, the sense of belonging that can come when you learn about your identity and the identities of the people before you in a place, um, the impact is profound. And that feeling is what we want all of our kids to feel that feeling that, you know, the places that they're in are places where they understand they, they belong, um, they understand their identity and the identities of the people around them and uh, the complexities of history. And I just, uh, I, I, can't, I can't say this enough, you know, go learn about your place. I don't care, I don't care where you are in the world. Um, there's reconciliation efforts that can happen in every place. And so, especially if you're in Canada, um, you know, we've committed to reconciliation. And I know that sometimes gets thrown around like a word, just like a word. <laughs> It sounds good to say, but, um, you know, I've, I've also heard people say reconciliation, you know, like, what are you doing to engage and understand the place that you're in? And then, and then, you know, once we can kind of go through that in our own perspectives, in our own life, you know, you would start to understand that from a school perspective, like, how do we, how do we create conditions for um, our, our educators and our support staff and our administrators and every pe people in the place and our students to understand the impacts of place on identity. And once you get to that place, you realize that just like Joe said, there is no other place, right? Like this is the place where we belong. This is the place that we need to understand and know. And as soon as you start to understand place like that, you know that this is not about minutes. This is not about location. Um, this is not even about quantity, right? Like this is um, deeply, deeply, deeply qualitative and something that you can't, there's no like diagnostic assessment we can do there's no checklist we can that we can make to make sure that our places are placeful but what we can do is we can look at our students and ask them and talk to them and look at them and say you know are they talking and acting in ways where they know who they are in this place are they talking and acting in ways where they feel like they belong 
and um, know how to navigate this place. And and so I think that once we kind of get to that deeper meaning and understanding of place, um, questions start to fall to the side, like how many minutes do we need to be here for this to be inclusion? And, um, you know, is it okay? Like, I don't want to force kids together if they have challenging behavior. And I'm like, it's not about that. It's not about that. Like everyone can take breaks. Like if a student is having challenging behavior, they're communicating to you that they don't feel like they belong in this place. Right. And so I think like, once we understand that deep understanding of place, um, we can understand and empathize a little bit more with kids and how they're feeling and how to increase. This is my favorite saying, how do we increase the places where people feel like they belong? Simple as that. And I truly believe that one way to do that is by understanding the place um, as a community and not just a location, but enough, enough, enough about that. This podcast is going to be two hours long. Okay. Rebecca and Sarah, and Team Shelton, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. Um, it takes some bravery and some vulnerability <laughs> to come on to a podcast and uh, and share, you know, where you at in your where you are at in your journey, and you know, understand that it's going to look different in, in every place, and because every place is a different community. And so, I appreciate sharing where you are in, in your inclusive journey, and um, and hoping that people can hear that and say, hey, like maybe that's where we are too, and and thinking about you know finding the people. Like whenever I think about Rebecca and Sarah, like they found each other, you know, they found each other in the big district where they are and be like, you know what, that's a goer, that's a goer and we want to make something happen. And the same thing with Team Shelton, right? Like they found a committee and they're just like, we want to make change. So let's find our, let's find our change makers. Let's sit together. Let's sit. Who is it? Jody Carrington. She's just like, sit with the winners and the conversation changes, right? Like go find your people, um, you know, and I think Rebecca and Sarah shows you it can start with just two people and Team Shelton. They're starting to do families of schools. And so it's 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 possible everywhere to find people who um, have a similar have a similar goal and vision to you. And what I appreciate about all the teams in my Washington collective is um, that they're seeing equity as including including disability. And and that's this is something I can't say enough is that when we talk about equity, um, equity oriented initiatives and practices, um, very very often. Um, there's, there seems to be an asterisk beside disability. Um, and we talk about equity orientation around um, race and gender and culture and sexuality. But what I appreciate about, about every Washington team um, that that is, and we're talking, we're like, we have like a hundred people in these teams. Um, they have committed to making the equity conversation also about disability and, and they deserve to, be, disability deserves to be at that table like anyone else. I just ordered a t-shirt that says, um, no, I forgot what it says. It says, uh, um, I don't want to get it wrong. Oh man, I don't remember. I mean, it's something like, I just, I don't want to get it wrong, but it's something just like, um, equity isn't equity without disability. Like it's, it's, it's incorporating that voice. Um, cause it's a voice that hasn't been listened to very, 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 very well ever. It hasn't ever been listened to. And so we have families who are struggling and kids who are struggling because all they want is to belong. All they want is to belong in a community, to be a part of the places that everyone is a part of and have access to education in a historically very marginalized system. So I hope that this podcast was useful for all of you. Um, I, I love podcasts. I love talking to all these people. Next month we are, um, so the first P was presuming competence. The second P was place-based, place, like place, the importance of place. And next month, in April, the month that I become a parent, we are talking about a very important P, 
we were talking about peers and um, actually there's kind of like three three pieces together peers proximity and participation and this one is is really important because I remember when I was school based this was our biggest one kids were enrolled they were going to class we believed they could learn but they weren't interacting with peers. They were still kind of on the side working with a support adult. So we're gonna dig into the peers conversation and say, how do we facilitate peer connections? Because peer connections are, are the biggest benefit of inclusion, both in school and outside of school when school is finished. So we're gonna dig into that. Um, let's see here. You guys, next time we talk, I'm gonna be a parent. What? What? So send good parenting thoughts to me and Jessica, um, send them our way because let me tell you, that's so weird to think about. I think I've decided that, I was trying to think of what I'm gonna, cause Jessica's gonna be mama, obviously. And I was just like, what should I be? But I've decided that I'm gonna go the Danish route. And so mom in Danish is more. So I think I'm gonna be more. Although next time we talk, I may have changed my mind cause it seems to change daily. So right now I'm gonna be more. So it's gonna be mom and more. And, uh, and yeah, so we'll see. I just got so excited okay my friends i will see you in a month we're talking about peers um on stay tuned for for april 1st it won't be april fool's day because i mean a video is going to come out but i'm not going to fake it because it's april fool's day april 1st will be a new 500 minute video talking about peers and uh and then we're going to just keep having our conversation going so friends have a great spring break have a great rest of your march um get outside See your friends go on a walk. See your friends safely go on a walk. Eat a donut or two. And um, I will see you in April. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the 5 More Minutes podcast. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, don't forget to tune in to next month's Five More Minutes video. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. We're easy to find. You can find us anywhere. Uh, thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. Five More Minutes podcast would like to thank OSPI and AWSP for providing the inclusionary grant funding, allowing us to bring continued inclusionary practices and professional learning to all educators.